All right. Well, I don't know if anyone remembers since it's been so long ago, like six to eight months ago, but I did a little message as I filled in for Howard last time on the topic of worldview, and I gave you a handout. I know you guys took it home and you pasted it to your wall, and it's on your mirror. Uh, you, you've looked at it every day for the last six to eight months, every day, night, you know, sat up in bed, read it again. But uh, I kind of want to focus on one area of that topic. Um, you know, I went over certain aspects of worldview, and I gave a definition of worldview like I do at the top here. And by the way, on your handout, just ignore the third page. I don't know how that third page got uh, stapled on there, but just ignore it. You're not, I'm not going to read that, but you can just, uh, if you want to read it yourself, go ahead, but I'm not going to cover that part. That very last page, it has like a paragraph there, so don't worry about it. But anyway, let's look at the first page here. Um, if you don't have this on you, there's some out there. If you missed it, you're going to be kind of lost if you don't have it on you, but if you don't have it, you don't have it. Anyway, so I talked a little bit about uh, worldview last time. I gave a definition here like we have on the top of your page. I said here it's an explanation, interpretation of the world, and second, an application of this life to li this, of this view to life. And then I talked a little bit about how uh, the function of a worldview and the importance of a worldview, how it impacts everything about us. It impacts our family, it impacts our career, our calling, our political views, our economic views, our education, the arts, everything. And so Everybody has a worldview. Now, if you've never taken a worldview class or never read a book on worldview, you've never you know, thought about it, you have one. Uh, if you're a follower of the Messiah and you believe in God, that lays the foundation for your worldview. Now, of course, there's been hundreds of books written on this topic, but uh, remember that whatever your worldview is, as I say here at the top, you know, it, takes, uh, it gets seated deep within us, it takes roots in our hearts, and of course, it flows out of us in everything we do. Um, now, I think we all know that there are many people around us that have different worldviews. Not everybody has the same worldview. I could, we could do a, a teaching alone on all the different worldviews out there because it's quite diverse these days, as it always has been. But for us, uh, you know, I compared some different questions in worldview last time. I talked about origins, meaning, morality, things like that. But today, I kind of want to hone in on one topic, and that's identity, okay? And I got motivated to talk about this, even though I've I've taught at MSI on this, but I saw a little uh, message with Ravi Zacharias. He was speaking somewhere, and he said that today we just don't know who we are. That's the number one problem we have in our culture. People just don't know who they are. And, of course, I would uh, agree with that 100%. I think that's a, a, very, uh, it's a problem out there. It's always been an issue. So I thought today we'd spend a little more time on identity. I did do a message or a teaching at MSI a ways back called Identity and Idolatry. I won't focus like on idolatry all day today. That would take a whole class in itself. But I just want to focus a little more on identity. Now, when you go down here to the middle part where it says worldview questions identity on A, uh, number A there, that's where we're going to start. Of course, that's the way an outline works. You go top to bottom, right? But as it says here, identity, what defines us? So, now, I think that for us as followers of Yeshua, it may be so you know, clear to us, we may say to ourselves, well, of course I know my identity. I mean, I'm an image bearer of God, and I'm identified in the Messiah, and that's who I am, and he gets to define me. You know, God defines me, or the Messiah defines me, or, you know, uh, you know, you know that, that, I know that. I just know it. Of course I know it. I mean, come on, who doesn't know that? Well, uh, if that's the case, let, I, let me say from experience, we may know that cognitively, but for many of us, it really doesn't 
take root in our hearts, okay? It just does not sink down. And we're going to look at some of the issues today that challenge that identity, because if we really are true to ourselves, we will all admit that none of us find our identity in God and in the Messiah 24 hours a day. Most of us are challenged by the culture rubbing off on us. We're challenged by what our peers say. We're challenged by what our um, coworkers say or whoever thinks this about the, us or some, what someone else says, maybe even people in the uh, Messianic community itself, you know? Um, so we're all not, uh, you know, we're not necessarily oblivious, hopefully, to those things around us that challenge our identity. So when we say right here on who gets to define you, obviously when I say God defines us as an image bearer of God or the Messiah defines us, what do we mean you know, when we say that we are an image bearer of God, we really have one passage in Genesis 1.26 that says God created us in his image and likeness. And I know Howard went over Genesis a long time ago, and I'm sure we all remember that, right? Genesis 1. That was like a long time ago, right? And, you know, there's been a lot of uh, books written and a lot of talk about what it means to be created in God's image. We don't have a ton of texts that really expound on this. You know, there's not like seven or eight passages I can point to where it says, this is exactly what it means to be created in God's image. So some people, of course, have come up with different ways of explaining it. They may say, well, you know, God, uh, God created in his image. Obviously, we don't have a body. I mean, God doesn't have a body. We have a body. But, you know, uh, humans have rationality. God's a rational being, and we're rational creatures. Maybe that's part of being created in God's image. Or God's a moral being. You know, morality flows from his nature. He's morally good. Uh, God doesn't learn what's good from somebody else, and he gives it to us. He is good. He, he defines what goodness is, and maybe we're created in his image when we're good. You know, the, mora- the moral features of humans. Or maybe it's the creativity aspect, because God's a creative being. He creates, and we're creative. I can't, I, there's a lot of things I can't create, but I've seen some pretty fantastic art and other things out of people, and I say, they are creative. But I, uh, or perhaps we may think that's what it means to be made in the image of God, that we're creative beings. Or uh, another view is that we're the representatives of God, that God gave us this function, this, um, this calling to be stewards over the earth. And maybe it's just a representation of who God is. We represent him into this world. So I found a good definition. I think this kind of sums it up. And I, I, you know, I've researched this for years, and it just keeps going, the ongoing research, because there's so many uh, different debates on it. But I like what one author says. He says, image means the humans are connected to God, we're created for relation to God, represent God, and are accountable to God. That's pretty good. I like that. That's good. Now, we do know that the only one who's imaged God perfectly is the Messiah. He is the perfect image and representation of who God is. And we are uh, in the process of becoming like the Messiah, right? That's what we, God's doing in our lives every day. He's conforming us to the Messiah's image, okay? And so that's kind of uh, all I'm going to talk about image, is like being created in the image of God. You know, sometimes we go off in different directions what it means, but I think that definition is good. We're, we're created to be connected to God, related to God, represent God, and are accountable to God. That's, that's pretty good, in my opinion. Some people may disagree. Okay. So we see here that, uh, on number two here on your bullet point, it says identity is the sum of everything that pertains to us and shapes us, right? And of course, as we know, uh, as I say here, number four, if we're created in God's image, there's nowhere else to go to, to, to know who we are, even though God is the last place many people want to look, right? We know that many people around us 
don't turn to God for their core identity. They don't turn to the Messiah. They look to other things, and they're looking for things right now. They're looking to other things than God or the Messiah to define them. And of course, this leads to who speaks for God, Scripture, and who gets to interpret Scripture. Of course, uh, the teens are back. Um, Good observation. You know, when it comes to Scripture, when we talk about who speaks for God, and we talk about interpreting Scripture, um, you know, we believe that God has, uh, you know, the way He shows Himself to humanity that He's real, He has to take the initiative, because we're finite, we're not God, and He does that through the world of nature, that people can look into the natural world and see inference, uh, make inferences to cause and effect relationships, and also, of course, through history, through a text. And we, as a Messianic community, uh, we interpret the text, of course, and we're an interpretive community. Um, I don't recommend interpreting Scripture as a lone ranger. You can try it, but you're probably going to need some help, as we all do. And that's why, of course, we have MSI, and that's why you can learn the languages and all kinds of other things to help you interpret the text, okay? And so that's very important. Okay, so... That is uh, the starting point, of course, that uh, God uh, and the Messiah defines us. That's our core identity, we might say. Now, let's move down here to the part that says uh, some of the factors that are part of our identity formation. And here I have identity in our body. You may say, oh, the body. Oh, boy, that's not part of my identity. Oh, yes, it is. Um, It's part of everybody's identity. Because as I say here, for good or ill, people do make initial judgments based on appearance. We are a appearance-driven culture, okay? Um, I think that we all know that uh, the first thing we see when we meet somebody is you, right? I, I don't even mind to know what you're like, but I, I see you. I see your appearance. And in some cases, uh, quick judgments are made, right? Hey, there they are, you know? I'll make a judgment about them. But uh, then they get to know the person, hopefully, and, uh, you know, you get to know that they're more than just a body. Okay, now when I say body, of course, I don't just mean flesh and bones, but, uh, you know, our body has a role in our identity formation because we all know that whatever body we have, uh, some of us have limitations, some of us have uh, greater mental capacities than others, that opens doors of opportunity, some of us have uh, limitations, that means we can't do certain things. I don't think it's necessarily true when we tell children you can be anything you want. Um, I can tell you from experience that I'm a tennis player, and I have played hours and hours in tennis over the course of my life, and I cannot be as good as Roger Federer, okay? I cannot win Wimbledon. I can't win the U.S. Open. I'm limited, okay? So, uh, you know, we all have some limitations, and so just remember that uh, whatever our bodies uh, allow us to do sometimes is what we can do, right? And, uh, you know, we need to remember that, okay? Now... Uh, obviously, we are more than simply a body because biblically, uh, we are a unitary being. That means that, uh, you know, we're not just like uh, a physical body. Uh, we're also spiritual. Uh, we have a mental component. We have emotional component. We have a rational component. All those things are integrated together, right? And when one of them is not doing well, uh, it impacts the others, okay? It impacts the other part. That's why sometimes some people say, this is a good word, uh, I like this one, we're a psychosomatic whole. There's one you want to use for your coworker on Monday morning. You want to walk in Monday morning and say to your coworker, say, do you know you're a psychosomatic whole? They'll look at you and say, yeah, I knew it. I knew it. Can you explain to me, Peter, what does that mean? You are more than physical flesh. You're more than matter and motion. You are a physical, spiritual, mental, rational, emotional creature, okay? So if one of those is off, it impacts the other. If we're not 
physically well. We may not be spiritually well. If we're not mentally well, we may not be spiritually well. We may not be physically well. They're all, it's all integrated together, okay? So our identity is certainly uh, can be related to our body, but hopefully we know that, um, you know, hopefully our identity is not totally wrapped up in our body or appearance because we know there has to be more to us than that. And when we come to know the Messiah... He takes ownership of our bodies. We know that it says in two passages that we've been bought with a price. Now for glorify our bodies in Messiah Yeshua. There's one passage in Corinthians that talks about that. And the other one is we're a temple of the Holy Spirit. And so God really uh, owns our bodies, really. And he calls us to actually give our bodies to him. You know, whatever he wants to do with them. Um, you know, and of course we have to take care of them. If you, don't, if you neglect them, of course, we may not be able to serve God in the way we want, but the point is that God owns it all, and he owns our bodies, okay? Now, what about our actions, identity and our actions? Now, I say here, if you know who you are, you know what you must do, and by the way, I'm number two here, identity and our actions. If you know who you are, you know what you must do, and if your identity is healthy, it provides confidence that enables action. Now, I uh, did not come to faith till my mid-20s. I was about 24, and I came to know the Lord um, really personally, and I was sitting in the back of the, our first building at Easton, or not your first building, but the, when I started visiting, the Easton one, and that's when I heard the gospel when Howard was preaching on Matthew, and that's probably where I came to faith, right about then. And I have to be honest that uh, my trajectory in life, I had my, old, my own plan. I mean, I was thinking, I'm going to do this and this and this, and, you know, I kind of have my plan, map kind of laid out at that stage, and God, you know, uh, really started to work in my life and show me very quickly that, uh, you know, that I need to surrender my, I needed to surrender my goals over to him, um, you know, once the Messiah came to uh, take residence in my life. And it was when I read the four Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I just kept reading them, day, uh, you know, month after month, that Yeshua kind of challenged me really with his lordship. You know, at that point, I had accepted Yeshua as my Savior. I mean, I knew I was forgiven. I, I knew that I was right with God, but I had never really uh, committed to like, like saying, yeah, you're the Lord now, you know? And so he kind of uh, really hit, you know, hit me between the eyes on that when I read the Gospels that, you know, I couldn't just kind of dabble in uh, believing in him. I had to make a full commitment. And some of us, you know, we come to know the Lord we may accept Yeshua at the beginning, but we never uh, come to the place where, you know, we fully commit to him, you know, and that, I mean, commitment can be a daily process, but we've never really said to him, you know, I belong to you now, you know, you're, you're the Lord of my life, and sometimes we need to do that. But uh, turn with me, I have a passage I want to look at in 2 Corinthians 5. I want to look at something here, a really important passage that uh, has come up a lot over my life over the last year, 2 Corinthians 5, and... I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but if you go down to uh, verse uh, 14, a really important part of the chapter, has great relevance to our lives. You know, it says here in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, you come down to verse 14, that uh, Paul says, For the love of Messiah controls us, having concluded this, the one died for all, therefore all died, and he died for all, that they who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on our, their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no man according to the flesh, even though we have no Messiah according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if any man is in the Messiah, he's a new creation, new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Messiah, who gave us the ministry of reconciliation. 
namely that the God was in the Messiah reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trans, uh, trespasses against them, but he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we ambassadors for Messiah, as though God were entreating through us, we beg you on behalf of Messiah, be reconciled to God. Now, notice how he says here in verse 15, uh, he says here, the Messiah died for us, and he says here that we may no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died and rose again from their dead. And that brings up the issue of purpose, purpose. So when we had a, uh, a challenge this last year when I had a family member that lost some use of their body, uh, as happens to many of us, sometimes in life we have to reevaluate our entire purpose. I mean, like, what, what are we here for to begin with? What are we doing? And so when I challenged uh, this particular family member, you know, what, I said, what's your purpose? Like, what, what do you think your purpose was before this happened to you, and what's your purpose now? And naturally, like most people, um, they said, you know, I'm to be a good mom, to be a wife, um, you know, that's, that's about it, really, and which is very common. But, you know, I thought to myself, well, you know, what about, uh, do you have like a, uh, an ultimate purpose, like a purpose above that, you know, something? And then that got them to really think about this issue, and I took them to this, this text, and we were talking about it. And to be honest, uh, if, when you go through these different identity markers, we'll find, as I'm going to end up by the time I end this message, that all of these identity markers can be changed like that. They can shift in one day. They can be challenged. But the point is that if we really claim to follow the Messiah, once we come to know him, um, he is our ultimate purpose, right? Yes, people without God can find purpose in life. They can have relationships. They can volunteer. They can work and have a great job and make a lot of money or no money, whatever. They can find things to do. They can find some purpose. But they don't have any really ultimate purpose beyond that, right? And so we as Messiah followers find our ultimate purpose in the one who died and rose from the dead, right? And we have to keep reminding ourselves of that, what our ultimate purpose is, because our identity markers will be challenged throughout the history of our life, especially when they're physically challenged. Then that really causes a challenge, okay? Now, something else I want to mention, um, turn with me to John 17 for a minute. It's on the text I want to turn back to. John 17, when Yeshua is about to pray the high priestly prayer here. John 17. So Yeshua is uh, about to, like the chapter before, he's about to be betrayed and then crucified, but he's praying this prayer to the Father, and he says here in verses 1 to 4, he lifts up his eyes to heaven, and he says to the Father, he says, Father, these things Yeshua spoke, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come, Glorify thy son, that the son may glorify you, even as you gave him authority over all mankind, that all, to all whom you've given him, he may give eternal life. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Messiah Yeshua, whom you've sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do. You know, the Messiah was not here very long, right? He had a very short career, started at age 30 to 33. And uh, by the world's estimates, maybe he was a failure. You know, by all conventional wisdom, he really didn't do a lot. But from God's perspective, he accomplished exactly what God wanted. And, you know, when we go to God and ask him, you know, about uh, our time and how we uh, carry out our actions, all we really need to do in this life, uh, ultimately, is accomplish what God wants for us. That is our ultimate goal, okay? Now, you may say to yourself, well, how do I know what to do? I mean, I don't know what to do. Well, whatever's in the text has already been revealed, right? That whatever's in here... God's given us enough to do or that's already laid out in the text. There's uh, no new revelation coming. 
Uh, there's no more new assignments coming as far as outside of the text. As far as I can tell, whatever is in the text has already been laid out. Now, he may guide you in some special assignment or something, but it wouldn't contradict the text. But the point is that we can know what to do by reading the text. Now, for some of us, we may have a specific calling. He may call us to do a specific thing. Uh, many of us will, ha- however, have a choice to make what we want to do with our lives, you know? As long as it's in uh, God's moral will, you're fine. Pick something to do and go do it. If you're good at being an accountant, go be an accountant. I'd be a terrible accountant. If you're good at being a lawyer, go be a lawyer, a uh, plumber, whatever. The point is that we will have choices to make. Now, one thing I do say here uh, in two, on the second bullet point, I say here we can't separate beliefs from actions. And I'm going to have to say that that's very true because whatever you believe will impact what you do. And so to say that I just do and I do what I do and it doesn't matter what I believe, uh, that's nonsense, okay? Uh, Your core convictions shape your actions. So if you have no convictions, you're not going to know what to do, okay? And uh, that plays a tremendous role in sometimes the way we communicate the Messiah to the culture because, um, you know, I can tell you from interacting with uh, people from different faith backgrounds that... Uh, they're all very kind, and they can do a lot of nice things. They can feed the homeless, and uh, they can be kind and generous. But, you know, I, it's not going to make me embrace uh, Mormonism, and it's not going to make me embrace Islam or another faith, because I know, evidentially speaking, the core beliefs of those faiths just aren't based in reality. I've, I've looked too much into it. You may say, well, that's mean. No, it's not mean. It's just true, okay? So the point is that you cannot separate your beliefs and the actions. They go hand in hand. Now, What happens if the goals and aspirations we have are left unfulfilled? You know, you set up goals for your life, you want to do this, this, and that, but something gets challenged, something comes along and challenges that. That is where we have to go back to our identity. We ask ourselves, who are we? We are image bearers of God. We're creating the image and likeness of God. God can still use me wherever I'm at. He can still work through me in some capacity. And when you know that vocations come and go, sometimes we have vocations for a season and then they end. And if we find all our identity wrapped up in our vocation, we know that that can be a challenge because that vocation may just go like that. And so this issue can take us back to asking ourselves, where is our core identity? Is it as an image bearer of God? Is it in the Messiah? We have to keep going back to that over and over. Okay, what about relationships? Well, identity in our relationships. Uh, Relationships definitely are a core component of our identity. We know that some relationships come and go. Sometimes we have uh, friends for certain seasons and they leave our lives. Sometimes uh, relationships end. And family, of course, is a large part of our identity. But uh, let me say uh, one thing uh, is I'll give it a little uh, punch or a little, um, not punch, a little um, uh, inspiration for a class that's coming up uh, at MSI. Uh, If you're not married and you're in here, you still actually have an identity, okay? You actually are fully complete in the Messiah, okay? You're not lacking anything, okay? And uh, I know Henry will talk about this a greater length, so I'm not going to steal his thunder. But, uh, you know, when I was a new believer at age 24, before I settled in the Beth Messiah, I spent an entire year visiting churches, and it got really exhausting. And you know why it got really exhausting after about the uh, seventh church I visited? Because uh, at 24, I was still single, and everywhere I went, they were like, are you single? I'm like, Yes. And they're like, oh, we need to join our singles group. Or you need to, uh, uh, I've got someone in mind for you. I, you know, I would have thought by after like four months that the whole, goal, the whole purpose of my life is to get married. I mean, that's all that matters to these people. I mean, it's all they talked about. 
Um, you know, and then I, of course, I just found the Messiah. I just entered in a relationship with God, and I was like, this is pretty great. I'm like having a relationship with God and knowing who I am and finding satisfaction in God and my purpose in life. And then b- before I know it, it's like something's missing, like uh, I'm lacking something now. I mean, before I could even say anything else. And so, uh, you know, you look back years later, you realize that um, the local communities, uh, not, not everybody, but we don't do the best job of communicating this to our, our single people. And let me say that... Uh, you have it all. You, have, you know, you're in the Messiah, you're completing the Messiah, you're an image bearer of God, even if you don't have someone right now. And I'm not going to say anything more. I'll let you know who take care of that in his class. But the point is that uh, I just want you to be encouraged today that you're complete in the Messiah, okay? All right. Now, let's move on to our history at the top here. It says, says here, identity and our history. We are shaped by our families of origin, opportunities, education, traumas, failures, successes, and celebrations. Okay. And what impact would a stolen past and a bleak future have on the sense of who I am now? Okay, there's no doubt that our history is going to shape our identity. And I think for some of us, we know that there's something in our past that may have uh, impacted us in a way that challenges our identity. And maybe God's trying to heal us of that right now. I don't know. And sometimes we look to the future. But the point is that uh, when we come to know the Messiah... God takes us wherever we are, and he begins to reshape our identity, okay, no matter what's happened in the past, right? And he begins to change us, make us confident in our identity in him, shape it, mold it, remind us of who we are in him, and he just keeps working in that area, okay? So the thing is that we have to ask ourselves at some point, is our past going to define us? Is the future going to define us? I don't know. But we have to ask ourselves, uh, you know, what are we going to do with our history, okay? I know that I like to reminisce a lot, so sometimes I tell stories in the past. We all do. I've noticed as we get older, we do that, by the way. Um, That happens. But the point is that uh, we have to let God take us where we are and allow him to change us as far as, uh, you know, burning that in our hearts about our identity and the Lord where we are right now, okay? Now, uh, I'm not going to say too much more of that. What about boundaries? Okay, identity and our boundaries. Now... Boundaries are interesting. Certainly, boundaries can be part of identities. We know that boundaries are created by our associations. Sometimes it's the groups we're part of. Sometimes, uh, you know, people form political boundaries. They don't associate with people or disagree with them. Sometimes it's a community. Of course, sometimes it's our ethnicity, a team or whatever can set a boundary. But what about boundaries? Some of them are positive. Some of them can be negative. It just depends, but there was one boundary that was really large in the first century, and we know that uh, we, as a congregation, have a lot to do with it, and that has to do with Ephesians uh, chapter 3, if you look at it right here, this relationship between uh, Jewish people uh, and Gentiles, and there was a huge boundary in the first century, okay? And actually, I'm sorry, yeah, uh, where's the one? Chapter 2, let's see here. I'm sorry, chapter 2, chapter 2 of Ephesians, not chapter 3, chapter 2. So, you know, as much talk there is today about uh, racial tensions and things like that, there was a major tension in the first century that was absolutely uh, one of the largest tensions at that time, and that was the relationship between Jews and Gentiles. And, you know, Paul talks about here that uh, there was this boundary, you know, between Jews and Gentiles, but with what the Messiah has done, he changed that. If you look at chapter 2 in Ephesians, Verse 11, it says here in verse 11 of chapter 2, Therefore remember 
to formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are so-called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Remember that you were at that time separate from Messiah, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Messiah Yeshua, you've been form- you are formerly far off and brought near by the blood of Messiah, for he himself is our peace who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier dividing wall by abolishing his flesh, the enmity, which is the law and commandments contained in the ordinances that he himself might make the two into one new man that's establishing peace and might reconcile them in both one body to God through the, through the execution stake by having it put to death the enmity. So that boundary was changed in the first century between Jews and Gentiles, what the Messiah has done. And we you know, have an opportunity here is, you know, we've heard this message year after year after year, and I know that Howard's talked about it, and we've had Brian Tucker here. We have, um, uh, that boundary has been, you know, changed, whereas Jew and Gentile are one in Messiah. Now, spiritually, we're all one, but of course, we still have our ethnic identities. You know, Jewish people are still Jewish people, Gentiles are Gentiles. Um, Hopefully, Gentiles don't want to be Jewish, and Jewish people don't want to be Gentile. Never met a Jewish person wants to be Gentile, other way around. But anyway, so the point is that uh, we have a, uh, you know, a boundary still, uh, a little boundary set up in the way that we uh, have our ethnic identities, but we all know that spiritually we're all one in Messiah. God sees us identified in him, so that boundary's been changed, okay, through what Yeshua has, been, uh, has done. Now, when it comes to your uh, age, I'm not going to say much about that because, as you know, you can't change that. Uh, whatever, uh, as Howard said to me when I turned 50 in December, he said, I got something to tell you. It's really important. I said, what's that? He's going to tell me now. And he said, you're going to be 51 next year. I said, really? I said, that's amazing. I did not know that. Um, and that's the way it is. The years go by, and our age, we just, we don't go backwards. We go, we get older, right? Um, so we don't, can't do much with that. But the point is that uh, hopefully we're not letting our age define us and our core identity is not in our age. Um, you know, we, we tend to do that in our culture. We really obsess on age. And uh, hopefully we know that's something that we just cannot control, is hopefully. And the same goes, may I say, with identity and uh, sexuality and gender. Very controversial topic today. A lot of people find their core identity and their sexuality or their gender, and there's a lot of debate about that. Um, Hopefully, if we can minister to people effectively who are struggling with that, we can tell them that their core identity is in God and it is in Messiah. That's what their core identity is in. God created you to be an image bearer of God and uh, to be a Messiah follower. And if we can take people out of finding their core identity in their sexuality or gender, maybe we can minister to them and help them, okay? Uh, That's what I try to do. Hopefully, those opportunities will be there for you as well. That's really the whole ballgame if we can get people thinking in that direction. So we come to this season of um, renewal and the high, holiday, high holidays, and we come to this issue of repentance, okay? We're entering into that season of repentance where we reflect on ourselves, we reflect on our relationship with God, we reflect on our relationship with others, and we think about where we're at with God and do some introspection and hopefully think about uh, the issue of repentance. So repentance, of course, is... Having to do with a change of mind, right? We hopefully, uh, when we think of when we repent, because we're constantly repenting, we allow God to um, do a work in us, convict us, show us things that need change. But the first step is change thinking, right? Change thinking. We have to think differently before we act, right? Hopefully change thinking leads to change, uh, change in action, okay? 
And as we look at some of these identity markers, the reason I um, kind of chose this topic is because when we're challenged in areas in our lives, uh, when we're tempted to sin in certain areas, when we start uh, really reflecting our identity in the Lord and we start getting more rooted in that, and we think about that we're identified in the Messiah, identified as death and resurrection, I'm an image bearer of God. Hopefully, when we're challenged to sin, what hits us between the eyes when that temptation comes is, that doesn't fit who I am. That just doesn't fit who I am. Uh, that's not who I am. That, that, that's, that's not, uh, my, my identity is in the Messiah. I'm an image bearer of God. I'm, I'm identified in the Messiah. And that thing, that temptation is going to take me out of that, right? And that is not who I am, okay? So we have to have a changed uh, mindset, okay? Of course, that mindset is changed through the reading of the scriptures, through prayer, through being in community, through accountability, other things. But we're always going to be challenged in our culture to uh, find our identity in something else. It's just the way it is. We live in, uh, as First John says, we have the world, the flesh, and the adversary of our souls always on our uh, tail uh, coming at us, trying to uh, tell us to find our identity in something else. As I say here, under the identity and repentance section, it's a battle as we live in a world that seeks to define us by its own standards, but it's a battle that if we engage in it can impact everything else. And so we don't totally master that in this life, okay? We have to fight. We fight to maintain our core identity in the Messiah. All these other things, these other things I mentioned, your history, your body, uh, your actions, everything, all those things will be constantly rubbing against us, okay? Constantly, okay? And as I say here, many times a false belief has wedged itself between how God defines us and seeing ourselves in the same light. And so, you know, we, as I say here in the third point, we are constantly in the process of being renewed, constantly going back to the Messiah, asking him to uh, reaffirm that identity in us, right? Praying to God, help me to remember who I am in you, constantly saying that to God, right? It's not just a one-day thing, it's constant through our lives. And the good news is, as I say here, number four, is with every relationship, our relationship with God is two sides. Believers know God and are known by him. Not only do we get to know God, but God knows us, okay? He knows you better than you know yourself, okay? He knows everything you struggle with. He knows everything, all right? Now, I want to um, say that the one thing that will challenge our identity more than anything is uh, circumstances, of course, right? When circumstances come, turn with me. Um, I have uh, another t- one last text. I'll look at Matthew 7. Uh, we find out what's really there when we look at Matthew 7. When you are challenged in your identity in the Lord, and circumstances seem overwhelming, always remember, you know, what Yeshua said here in Matthew 7. When he talks here, uh, when you go down to verse 24, and he says here, in verse 24 of Matthew 7, he says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts upon them may be compared to a wise man who built his house upon the rock, and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and burst against that house, and yet it did not fall, For I have been founded upon the rock, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act upon them will be like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand, and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and burst against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. And when the result was, when Yeshua had finished these words, a multitude would amaze at his teaching. You know, it's only when the circumstances come that are overwhelming, you find out what's really there, right? You find out where you're really at in your relationship with God. You find out if there's any foundation that's really been built, right? 
We can give lip service, we can read the theology books, attend Bible studies, go to services, all those other things. But when the circumstances come that challenge that, you'll find out where your identity really lies and you'll find out if the foundation is really there. And so that's why throughout the course of our spiritual lives, we keep building that foundation, we keep working on it, making it stronger, right? That's what we try to do every day. Now, as I say here in the last point here, uh, five, as I say, in the end, we need to remind ourselves that God or the Messiah is the only unchanging, stable thing we have in this life as well as the next life, right? Because the end of the day, your job can change, your body can change, relationships can change, your age is definitely changing, no doubt about that. Your history can change, your boundaries can change. All those things are shifting constantly, right? Constantly shifting, they can be changed in a heartbeat. But God is the only one who's unchanging, right? He doesn't like, uh, you know, change his mind tomorrow about you. He doesn't love you any more tomorrow than he did today. He's unchanging, and the Messiah is unchanging. And that's why we should realize that at the end of the day, the only thing we can really cling to ultimately the end, in the end is really God and the Messiah. He is it, okay? And hopefully we will think about it, you know, um, when it comes to identity markers, that that is the o- he is the only thing we can really find our core identity in at the end of the day. These other identities are important, but ultimately our core identity has to constantly be in God as an image bearer of God and be in his son, Messiah Yeshua, okay? So when we go to this time, the season of repentance and renewal, perhaps we need to just ask ourselves, um, you know, am I, am I short in some areas? Am I having struggles in certain areas because I'm not really appropriating my identity in the Lord? And how can I work on that? How can God change me in that area, okay? And as I say, it's an ongoing, continual process. It's not something we master in one day, but it's a good thing to ask ourselves as we go through that season of repentance and renewal. Where are we in our thinking about our identity with God, and where are we in our identity in the Messiah? And boy, is it fun to um, pop the identity question to college students. Isn't that fun? Or your young people? It's so fun. What are you finding your identity in? Where are you headed? What's your identity in? Um, they are at a place where they really need to hear this kind of stuff, okay? So let us uh, speak about this into their lives as well, in our own lives, but certainly their lives, okay? So having said that, let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we just uh, thank you so much that we can find, uh, you know, our identity in you. Sometimes we just say it as lip service. Sometimes we know it cognitively, but I pray that during this season of repentance and renewal that that would really take root into our hearts and that we'd realize that you know us intimately, we're your children, you understand everything, and that uh, the Messiah really rose from the dead and our identities in him, and that we're called to be image bearers of God in this world, and that no matter what anybody else says, no matter what other circumstances happen, we can always find our core identity in you because you are unchanging and you are stable and firm and we can trust you. And we thank you, God, that you have revealed that through your word. And I pray, God, that that would take root in our hearts as we walk away today. In Yeshua's name, amen.